think I would give myself keep pushing on the things that need to be pushed on in terms of speed and efficiency. But then at the same time, be careful of how much we take on. It's better to be effective than to drop some of the balls that we're trying to juggle in the air. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, everyone. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Joe Mascola. Joe, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much, David. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So for those of our listeners that don't know Joe, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Absolutely. So I am Executive Vice President of System Operations for Northwell Health. What that means is that I oversee anything that exists basically outside of the hospitals and our physician practices and all of those shared services. So IT, digital, capital management, project management, change management, real estate facilities, things of that nature. So it certainly keeps me on my toes and makes for an interesting day, week, month, year. Yeah, I imagine so. I think the largest health system in New York. So yeah, a lot of responsibility there. So I'll look forward to diving more into that show. And I know you guys have some exciting news happening currently, but we'd like to start every episode with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. Yeah. When I think about actionable advice, you've got to take the long view when we talk about a lot of these digital transformation and these exciting things of the future. So yes, take the long view, but you've got to create sort of surprise and delight along the way. The human attention span is relatively short, some shorter than others. And while I think most people will fall in love with the idea and the concept, if you can motivate and inspire proficiently, but they lose their patience in that pretty quickly. And so why does Apple come out with a new device every so many months? They're continuing to try and capture their audience, even if it's small modifications. And I think we need to do the same in healthcare. We can't just talk about this new electronic records coming, we've got to find ways to create efficiency and improve performance for the clinician, for the patient, the consumer of care. If we can do that along the way, I think we're doing our jobs pretty effectively. Love that. I always say when I'm working with folks, 
think big, start small. And brings that up for me. So, Joe, let's start out just learning a little bit more about your backstory. So, how did you start out and how did you get to be the EVP of one of the larger health systems in the country? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to describe my journey a little bit. It's fairly atypical, I think. You know, I started as a pharmacy technician. That's what got me through college and ultimately became a physician assistant when I graduated. I became a cardiac surgery PA. I love being at the bedside. I spent most of my time in the ICU and that ability to be that clinician that's responsible for those patients' care while the surgeon is in the operating room, we had that opportunity. And so it was probably one of the greatest privileges I've had over the course of my career. I had this nagging sort of itch, a pull, and that was just this desire to do more, make a bigger impact. And so one of my career mentors, who was a cardiac surgeon, we were in the operating room one day and I said, yeah, I just feel like one patient at a time is not enough. And how do we make a bigger impact getting into a little bit more of this public health, public policy kind of discussion? And like, listen, why don't you go back to school and do something about it? So got a master's in business, went on a fairly circuitous path in my career did a number of operational roles, started out in project management. I implemented a solution called PISIS in the operating rooms, two safety net hospitals, one in Jamaica, Queens, and another one in Brooklyn, New York. Did that for a short period of time, project was winding down, and then came back to Northwell and ultimately did all these different types of operational roles. Worked for, as a chief of staff for our CEO and COO, learned more in the two years working for them than I did in the 10 years prior to that. And it was from that, you know, I think I saw even to this advice, a good strategy sometimes is incredibly eloquent and just takes time to evolve. And other times it's fairly crude and opportunistic. And so you've always got to have sort of the, what I like to say is the front burner and the back burner ideas that you can switch and interplace getting good chef at any time. When you see that opportunity arise, that sort of something coming ready almost to that boiling point, you can quickly throw in the ingredients and get it ready. So I learned that over those two years and then ultimately oversaw the operations of our ambulatory network, which was growing pretty dramatically at that time. I thought things were going great and my predecessor in human resources had left the organization, gone to the Cleveland Clinic. And so our CEO comes to me, he's like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about you to take over human resources. And at first I thought he was having breakfast with the wrong guy. I was like, you know, Michael, Michael Dowling, our CEO, Michael, I think I don't have an HR background. So this is 2014. Beginning of the year of 2015, the cover article in Harvard Business Review is HR should be blown up. So it's typical, Michael Dowling was a bit ahead of his time and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I wrote him a white paper when I thought HR and a large growing organization could become. Ultimately got the job and you know spent seven years as the head of HR for Northwell Health, as you said, the largest private employer in New York State. So learned an absolute ton in that time. And then eventually that role, we recruited or placed my successor one by the name of Maxine Carrington. And then my role grew into these other functions as I previously described. So it's been quite a journey. It's been a fun one and one that just constantly learning each step of the way. For sure. I mean, it's so cool that you had so many different experiences, particularly your experience caring for patients and being able to bring that to everything that you're doing, overseeing the various areas that you do, I think is unique and super valuable because we talked about Apple before. I mean, in regard to, you know, reimagining patient or consumer experience, it starts with the patient, right? So you're able to think kind of from that lens of having been there next to the patient at the bedside. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And look, that, that is what I absolutely love about healthcare. 
it is a matter of life and death? And what other industry can you really talk about it in that way? And so I find a lot of times on the shared service or corporate side of large healthcare organizations, you can sort of be lost and be like, oh, I just do IT or I just do finance or I just do HR. And what I've spent a lot of time talking to all of our staff about is in those shared service spaces, we're never more than an arm's length from the patient. What we do enables and empowers those who are at the patient's bedside. And so don't take it for granted. Don't think that this doesn't have impact. Don't think that this isn't mission-oriented. Don't think that this isn't ESG. It's all of those things and then some. And if we take that responsibility seriously, it'll force us to find a different speed. And I think that's, in many ways, what many of us are trying to find. What's that next sort of RPM, if you will, that we could all function at to innovate and move faster? Love that. Yeah, I got chills before a little bit. And it is. It is a matter of life and death. And yeah, I've said this before on the show, but it was my mom, who's the CEO of Behavioral Health Nonprofit out of New Jersey, who taught me too that it starts with helping, you know, one person. How can I make an impact on that one person's life? And, you know, keeping that perspective in mind and everything that I do helps me and is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the healthcare industry. So, you know, really interesting, exciting journey, Joe. What's one of the most important things that you learned personally or professionally along that journey? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? You hear this advice all the time. Do you hear, are you able to actually listen and listen in a way that you can absorb and better understand? You know, every single business school class or even before that time, they all talk about this. But then to experience it and have your sort of mind's eye just like open wide up is something different. And that's a lesson that has continued to be sort of learned many times over. When I first came over to North Shore University Hospital, I was at a competing hospital doing cardiac surgery. And we were asked to come on as change agents. And I was in my mid-20s at the time. Here I was trying to bring new ways of practicing, et cetera. And we're asking team members and nurses to do things differently that have our age in their experience. So they're like, I'm not listening to this guy. So did we take the time? Did we take the effort to understand why they'd set up the process that they did so far? And the short answer was no. You know, I go into HR, I see the same lesson again. Now, I do nothing about HR. So I come in and I say, hey, I got it. I don't have the deep technical skills at that subject matter expertise. Educate me. And while that really helped me through the first two years as CHRO to really gain that insight, that momentum, that understanding, so I can do more than just X a good question, hopefully a good question. It was after that time where I thought I knew more than I did. And then I was trying to assert the strategy even more so rather than continuing to listen. So we have this almost tendency like, oh, I got it now. I'm just going to keep going. And look, it was in the role. I had the opportunity to be in the role through some pretty pivotal periods of time during most organizations, whether that was Me Too, whether that was Black Lives Matter, that ability to really understand, hear, and listen, that lesson was taught to me over and over again. And even now, as we're trying to really continue to get our organization to evolve as we grow, and as many organizations, how do we grow with a limited amount of capital and revenue, et cetera, and become more efficient, become more personalized? It's the same lessons. Are we able to listen to what we're getting in terms of feedback from our clinicians, our customers, our constituents, so on and so forth? So it's the same lesson. It keeps coming back and sort of reminding us to like, whoa, slow down, patience and timing, 
And with that sort of good input and feedback wins the game every time. Yeah, 100%. That hearing versus listening, it seems so simple, but this podcast even was a great opportunity for me to really learn how to do that much better than I had before because I can't just be waiting for my turn to speak. I really need to be absorbing what you're saying so that hopefully I could say something worthwhile in retort. But love that. And for me, I just have to slow down, take a breath, and then speak. You also mentioned, you know, change management. And it's crazy. So much of what we do on, you know, with my professional services company nowadays is change management, like really going across the organization, these health systems and meeting with the various stakeholders, just listening, listening to what they have to say, putting our arms around everyone. And oftentimes we'll find that a number of them have the vision for what's needed. So it's our job to unify those voices. So often we'll also find that two disparate groups that thought they had differing ideas, really they're not so different after all. So how are we kind of translating that into a language that everyone can get behind? And then how are we translating it into ROI that board and the executive team can get behind? That was a big theme at Vibe this year too. It's no more shiny objects, right? This needs to deliver ROI. So Mr. Vendor, like what does that look like, please? To your point, our roles, you know, big leadership roles, a lot of times it's mediating, right? It's trying to hear what each side is, assessing the risk of both of those sides, as you say, and then change management is really the managing of risk and creating a sustainable deployment. At the end of the day, that answers the need of the reason for the project or the initiative. And I think you just said it. I mean, it's how you get through that and how you manage that and moderate it that then makes the best project from the okay ones. Right. 100%. Joe, what was one of your biggest challenges over the course of your career? You know, a time that you really feel like you learned a profound lesson from or something of that nature? Yeah, good question. I can name numerous examples. One piece of advice I give a number of people, and look, there's such an ambition for people to move along their careers quickly. The advice I often will give, have you spent enough time in the incubator? And the notion of that being, have you fixed your own mistakes? And that is the fun thing about human resources and many of these other functions is they're somewhat cyclical. And so, you know, you get another look at things to see how they come around and you have the opportunity to change it. And it's easy to look back during COVID we had created, even before COVID, an internal staffing company. We were seeing that we were spending tens of millions of dollars on traveler nurses and contingent workforce. And so we said, okay, we're going to start our own. We're going to do it at cost for the organization. And hey, if we do this good enough, we'll make it into a for-profit company we could do for other companies too. Because we get a million applications, close to a million applications a year. You know, not everybody's looking for a full-time job. And then when we put them into a per diem pool, then our staff isn't necessarily utilizing them. So let's see if we can do this. So we do it. We create this company. It's a ton of fun to do something in an entrepreneurial way. Sometimes having done entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial, sometimes I think the entrepreneurial is more complicated because of the politics, but maybe that's another podcast. And so we developed it. It was great. Started saving money. COVID hits. It was one of the single greatest, at least from a people standpoint, tools if you will, programs that enabled us to provide a level of care that we did throughout the entirety of COVID, despite the onslaught of patients that we saw. It became so much so that in this sort of post-COVID era, it's been the easy button. And so rather than waiting for someone to be recruited or running overtime for a little while, you know, people hit this easy button, what we call flex staff, 
and they've brought just this contingent workforce in. They're doing traveler nurses and things like that with our own flex staff. So when we're almost like by hitting the easy button, we're not managing our expenses well enough and it's costing us more money now because we're not filling with full-time positions. So it's you're paying a premium for these staff either way, even if it's at cost. So it's been a good lesson of, hey, we created something. How do we continue to make it serve the purpose that we originally intended it for? And keeping that sort of scope focus without scope creep, and that becomes a detriment to the organization. And then it comes back to, you know, how do you monitor it? How do you provide feedback? All the same stuff we talk about in change management to evaluate the sort of performance sustainability of the concept. So, you know, I think that's one where it's like, okay, now we've got to remold it and redesign it a little bit. We've got to look at the technology that supports it so that people can have the information that they need. And it creates ultimately opportunity. Yeah. Really interesting. And I, I could see how that could happen just naturally. No, thanks for sharing that, Joe. Great lesson there for me to take away. So I want to dive into the work you're doing now at Northwell. But before we do, we always like to ask, and this is how I build my book list personally, favorite book either that you're reading or have read in the last you know number of weeks or all time, your choice. Yeah, so I'll go top of mind, just coming back from vacation here. And I just finished reading a book called Lights Out. And it's about the evolution of General Electric GE and to what we see today from an iconic American and global brand to obviously something that's trying to find its and evolve itself into something very different today. And it really takes you through not only the journey of the product delivery, but then the journey of the impact of the board and the CEOs, you know, Jack Welch, Jeff Vimelt, again, somewhat iconic CEOs and how that impacted some of those decisions along the way. It's a lot about leadership while at the same time about organizational growth and challenging the status quo. Super cool. Yeah. I just check that out. Very cool. So Joe, you're the EVP of system operations for Northwell Health. What is your vision for the you know shared services that you oversee as is taken from the overall mission of the organization? Yeah. Northwell Health grows at about a billion dollars of revenue a year. And so continuing to support the organization in a way that is efficient has been a challenge. You can support it with growth in people. And so on the shared service side, we have typically grown about 10% a year over year. It became clear two years ago that that's not going to work. And so we've really got to begin to evaluate how we do things why we're doing certain things and how can other things be automated? What level of manual work is being created because we don't have interoperating systems, et cetera, et cetera. And then let's look at the people and do we have the right skill level? Or do we have the right turnover? Our turnover has historically been really low. And so is that giving us a diagnosis of health or a diagnosis of struggle? So we have done that throughout various parts of the organization where we are looking at how do we continue to transform? How do we continue to provide an efficiency of service? And then ultimately, where does that journey begin? Who are our customers? The organization, we haven't historically treated them as such. What are their exact needs? Are we putting in you know, solutions or are they? So I'll take a digital example. You know, I keep saying to our team all the time, we're about to convert our electronic health record. And I continue to say throughout the entirety of the organization, this is not an IT project. It's an operational efficiency project. It's a clinical efficiency project and clinical enhancement project and a patient satisfaction project. 
My team hasn't started throwing things at me yet, but we happen to be the plumbers. We're going to put this in and we're going to make sure it works and works really, really well. Obviously with the Epic who's we're going to be working with, et cetera. But our job is to make sure that it leapfrogs us forward enough that it relieves burden from the clinicians who are feeling that burnout, which was occurring even before COVID, that it's connecting the dots for the patient and helping them better understand their disease, and that the data points become so critical for us that it helps us in our discovery of either diagnosis and or treatment. And so that's what we're on the journey for. And it just gives you sort of one example of how we're trying to not only change the level of talent, but then change the way we're investing our money. And we're spending a lot of capital within those infrastructure pieces to make sure that those things are done in a meaningful way. I know Epic is pushing for Big Bang as a style of implementation. Are you guys doing Waves or are you doing Big Bang? I mean, I know you're a huge organization. Yeah, so maybe not as Big Bang as Epic would like us, but we're 22 hospitals. We have something like 900, just shy of 900 physician locations, practice locations. Plus we have rehabs, subacute rehabs, et cetera. So it's a fairly large network. When we bring in someone new to train them in our call center, our scheduling center, we have to train them today on seven different solutions before we can even put them in front of talking to a patient. So one, it's going to bring great efficiency. Two, yes, we are going live in waves. Looks like we'll probably do it in three, maybe four waves, or I should maybe say four, hopefully three waves. And so that entire period of time, though, was over a course of just two years. So it's pretty big bang for us, especially when you think about moving by that time, probably would be around $18 billion of revenue, basically in three slices. It's an exciting time. You know, there's, especially now, as I view it as the most important parts of this, as we go through that process of evaluating our processes, teaching our team members, having our team members be trained by the experts making sure that we get ourselves far enough down the proverbial field, if you will, to really have the impact felt not only by the clinician, but then also by the consumer. What other key initiatives are, I mean, that is a super key initiative. Any other key initiatives that you guys are working on, Joe, that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So maybe we'll go to the real estate side of the world. Yeah, I just mentioned close to 900 practices. Yeah, and our markets are at different levels of maturity, as you might imagine, as we grow into new markets. But in our most mature markets, we really are beginning to look at consolidation of all of those various locations. You know, you've got different leases and different timeframes. How do you manage those leases? How do you manage those properties? Are they the right locations? Look, some locations that we've taken on as we've acquired physicians and physician practices where we've acquired their real estate. And that real estate may be the house that they practiced in for so many years. And so what do we want the Northwell brand to represent? That's not to say that the patients haven't enjoyed coming to the house, you know, the back door of the house. It's just, okay, well, primary care inclusive of GYN and pediatrics, yes, that should be as local as local can be. But then as you start to think about the subspecialized and the super subspecialized care that large integrated health system like us is able to offer, how do we create a journey that way that as efficient as it can possibly be for both sides, meaning the clinician and the consumer? So I come in, great. I came here for a second opinion. I know I'm going to need additional imaging. Maybe there's a second specialist that I need to see. Do I do that from a virtual care standpoint? Do I do that in a physical movement where someone is literally coordinating my care in every step of the way? Those are the types of solutions that, you know, when you think about how strategic real estate can be, that we're trying to advance over the course of the next number of years. And so you're looking at us, look at 
retail spaces. I just signed a lease last week where we are in what used to be a Lord & Taylor location, and we will be building that out into medical office space. Very different look and feel on higher foot traffic, and yet a different kind of expectation for the patient in terms of being able to be sort of at one location to get all the necessary care that I may need to complete that part of my health journey. Yeah. Well, when you talk about competing with retail care, right? You have the CVSs of the world, Amazons, and et cetera. What better way to do so than taking over a retail space? I think to exactly your point, and they have those parcels, right? So the difference is we've got the clinical staff. So each side has their opportunistic part of what they bring to the table. And so, yeah, while we're looking at ways to continue to partner with those kinds of organizations, we're also looking for ways to sort of extend our reach and our access. Of course. It's a joke, but yeah. So what about the biggest challenges Northwell is facing as an organization right now? Yeah. You know, I think like many organizations, we're continuing to have some areas where we have gaps. And what I mean by that is with people. And so technology, we can't hire fast enough people who are engineers and programmers and project managers and things like this. And so that's where we are looking for unique partnerships where it becomes exciting and sexy, if you will, to be able to work on a project that you're working directly on with engineers from Google or working on certain projects with Salesforce and being trained by them. And this adds an appeal where I can not only for me personally check the box from a mission standpoint, I'm in an organization that's mission focused like a Northwell. But at the same time, I could be doing what I love, technology, and working with other companies that have this incredibly strong brand and reputation. So those are the kinds of partnerships that we've created over the course of the last year, where it's really adding an incredible amount of pride and enthusiasm amongst our technology teams. At the same time, improving some of our recruiting. They hear about the types of things that we're doing and the speed at which we're aiming to move and go and really sort of taking agile, if you will, to the next level. And people here, they're like, wow, this isn't like a sleepy healthcare organization. These guys are on the move and ladies are on the move. And so that's really exciting, I think, for people who are in the job market. And just one example of how we're really trying to sort of change the value proposition that we bring as an employer. For sure. What about some of the innovative technologies that you guys are using to support the business vision of the organization? I mean, you mentioned Epic, Salesforce both very innovative in and of themselves, but any other, something that you're really excited about, maybe on the clinical side or otherwise? Yeah. So we have a group, not only within our digital space that partners them with some of more of our ventures team internally. And so a lot of their work is being focused on artificial intelligence. We have a company that we've created with a third party called Aegis. And what they do is they look out in the market into organizations that they want to invest in that have sort of disease-changing technologies in the form of AI. What's an example? We have made a commitment to decrease the Black maternal mortality, certainly within our population, our catchment area, and the communities we serve. And so it is from the data through one of these joint ventures that we've created that's going to help us really sort of attack the problem and the epidemic that it otherwise is. So that's just one example. So what our chief medical officer, Dr. Jill Kalman, likes to say is, yeah, we've got big tech partnerships, Salesforce, Google, but we also have small tech where we're willing to look at some of these other things. There's another company that we also helped create, which I think really 
it's one of these win-win-win, and it's something maybe we don't think a lot about, but it's a company called Claripath. What Claripath does is they have taken the role of the pathology assistant, which actually has to, you think about a tumor gets taken out of an individual, it gets sent off. That sample has to go through many different levels of process to ultimately get it to a point where it's under a microscope. And by the way, another role, a pathology assistant, that is, you can talk to every single hospital and health system in the country. Every one of them will put a path assistant on their list of difficult jobs to fill. And so this not only automates and expands the capability almost tenfold of what one path assistant can do, it changed the nature of their role where they're processing more. They're able to increase the efficiency and the effectiveness of the actual sample that's provided and then thereby the diagnosis of that cancer or not. And so the technology that's been used to create this, it's one of those things that just blows you away when you see it. And then when you bring the clinicians in the room, they're blown away and you're like, this is what, these are the kinds of innovations that we need to be doing more of. And I raise it only because I think it really, it goes after those job shortages, the challenges that we've been talking about. It talks about efficiency and quality, which we're all striving for. And I think at the same time, looks at a level of innovation that we're constantly in pursuit of. Yeah. I love that you kind of mentioned how it touches on all those areas. Interestingly enough, I mean, classically, I was friends with and worked with a lot of CIOs. But over the course of the past, call it three years, I've gotten to be friends with more and more CIOs, CMOs, even COOs, just because it's going to take all of us tacking this from not in silos, kind of together in order to really achieve the kinds of things that that you guys are really striving for. And it's great that Northwell has someone kind of in your role, kind of tying that all together. It's pretty cool to see. So, Joe, we got a couple last questions here. One would be, where do you see the healthcare industry going in the future? And what do you think might be some of the biggest changes as time passes with an understanding that you don't have a crystal ball? Yes, sure. Two key themes, I would say. One is how do we continue to personalize medicine? This is not a new concept, but you know, you go to this notion of the N of one. How do we actually bring that to life? How do we implement that? We can personalize almost everything in our lives. Why can't we personalize our healthcare? And what you saw throughout COVID, and I think was incredibly clear once again, is that there are inequities of care. And in the year 2023, how can that be? When we've been aware of some of these for such a very long time, we just mentioned black maternal mortality, there's a long, long list of other inequities. Even as you look at some of the research studies that were done and that we rely on, many of them were done on white males. And yet we know the body and its physiology and pathophysiology acts differently between males and females and people of different ethnicities. So I think this notion of personalized medicine is one that really needs to be taken to the next level. And then gets you into like cellular therapy and gene therapy and things like that, which I think is such an exciting frontier. And again, we can work that into a technology conversation too, just because the amount of how much storage you're going to need to store that data. But that's going to be exciting. Second thing is, from COVID, you had, okay, where do people want to work? How do they want to work? And this notion of hybrid. Now, instead of every day in you know New York Times or Wall Street Journal, maybe you see one, like an article once a week on this topic. Then it went to, okay, the great resignation or the great attrition. People started to say, ah, I'm not, you know, I've got enough money to retire. I'm going to just, I've had enough. I'm leaving. And that led to some of the shortages that we're seeing now. And you start to see the jobless claims sort of tick up a little bit as the economy changes. 
For most employers, what are they going to look at next? Probably the second largest item, if not the first on most of these ledgers, if they're people-run organizations, is their cost of healthcare, their health benefits. And so this public discourse on the cost of care is going to come back. And look, that's what as much the Amazons and others are focused on as well. Okay, why are we paying so much for this? And then we're paying so much for it. And by the way, there's adverse effects. By the way, it takes forever to see a primary care doc. By the way, X, Y, or Z. So I think that question of cost is going to be right back on the table in a very short period of time. And I think those who can, and look, you saw it with price transparency and other concepts like that, that's only going to continue to grow. And the unfortunate part in this, and ultimately becomes an opportunity, is the provider is at hospitals and so on. We're the backstop, right? It's got nowhere else to go. So you have a lot of other parts of the healthcare industry that can sort of point their finger. But that's where I think we have to take an active leadership role to sort of change the dialogue and bring transparency to show what is actually happening, why certain things cost so much, and where some of those opportunities lie. And it's sort of incumbent upon us to start to take those roles. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. I was actually having this conversation when I was in Silicon Valley last week. I met with Isaac Turner, who's the co-founder and CTO of Curative. They were doing a lot of stuff for optimizing COVID testing during COVID, scaled from seven employees to 7,000 in the course of a year but have since re-strategized to be a health plan. And we were talking about how a lot of people, they don't even get preventative you know, procedures like a yearly mammogram or a colonoscopy or whatever, because they don't realize that it's preventative and that there should be no copay for it and things of that nature. It needs to be rethought out. I mean, even before you're describing your mom's role in behavioral health, I mean, another epidemic that's upon us and yet the reimbursement for a psychiatrist, if they're in plan, is terrible. And so, okay, try and provide the care in the right access point without having to pay out of pocket. I mean, this is the problem. And so, yeah, we need bright minds to try and solve these things. Yeah, 100%. So great stuff, John. As we wrap up here, we always like to ask our guests, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I think I would give myself, keep pushing on the things that need to be pushed on in terms of speed and efficiency. But then at the same time, be careful of how much we take on. It's better to be effective than to drop some of the balls that we're trying to juggle in the air. Nobody counts how many you're juggling, just the ones that you drop. So I think it keeps us targeted, keeps us focused, keeps our teams targeted. And quite frankly, a lot of times that's what they want, right? Like if we're going in so many different directions, just tell us where you want us to go and keep us focused. And so sometimes taking on too much all at once is, can be rather challenging. Obviously coming out of COVID, it's like, what else were you supposed to do? But in many ways, it's COVID agnostic. Yeah, I could have used that same advice. So now thanks for sharing. And Joe, thank you so much for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. In the interim, be well. Take care of one another. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.